A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Out again this week is Adam Keller, my typical co-host, but we have in studio helping me out, thankfully, Ben Job, thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, y'all. We're broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we've got on president of the American Federation of Government Employees, Reverend Everett Kelly from Alabama. We're going to be updating you on the UAW strike. We've got an interview about Medicaid expansion here in Alabama and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave us a voicemail throughout the week or send a text message. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online, in particular at our website, tvlr.fm. But we are also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, all of those places. Just search The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of uh, funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to make a one-time or monthly recurring contribution, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Uh, you can also buy our merch on tvlr.fm slash store. And new our shirts, yo. New shirts are in. I'm going to be mailing these out to people that pre-ordered them this week. Uh, we've got about like 25 extra that we bought, so you can go and get those uh, now as well. TVLR.fm slash store. If you're a member of a union, then please do think about getting your local to sponsor the show as well. And let me be the one to add the disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their authors and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. Uh, thanks for joining us, whether you're on uh, FM, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, YouTube, Facebook, uh, or Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio. Very cool. Another uh, internet radio station out of Huntsville, Alabama, K- bringing, bringing the good content from Huntsville to the world. Um, or if you're listening on podcasts, of course, thank you for joining us as always. And uh, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into our first segment last week in Southern Labor. Last week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week where we talk about what happened in the labor movement in the Southern United States and her colonies. We do this because uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens all the time every week. Workers are always on the move, and uh, we don't get enough love for it. Uh, we don't. Not enough people talk about what workers are up to. Uh, we're filing for union election. We're winning union election. We're winning gains after strikes, during bargainings. Uh, 
we are passing uh, policy, and policy is being passed to hurt us. So, you know, we got to keep track of all of that. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into what happened in the southern United States and her colonies on the week ending on 6 October. Uh, in new election filings, the employer filed for a union election after five workers at Union Oil and Gas in Charleston, West Virginia, showed majority support for unionization with United Steelworkers International Union, USW. The National Right to Work Foundation filed a decertification petition on behalf of anti-union workers at Starbucks in Nichols Hill, Oklahoma, seeking to end the representation of 27 workers there by Starbucks Workers United. The employer filed for a union election after two workers at TV Oil and Gas in Winfield, West Virginia, showed majority support for unionization with the USW. 19 workers at Starbucks in Midwest City, Oklahoma, filed for a union election with Starbucks Workers United, as did 20 Starbucks workers in Houston, Texas. Uh, 19 workers at Rising for Justice in Washington, D.C., filed for a union election with the Washington Baltimore News Guild, local 32035. 40 workers at Rainbow Blossom Market in Louisville, Kentucky, filed for a union election with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, UFCW, local 227. The employer filed for a union election after 104 workers at Overseas Shipping Group in Tampa, Florida, showed majority support for unionization with the International Organization of Masters, Mates, and Pilots. The Service Employees International Union, SEIU, local 32BJ, filed a petition to amend the certification of their unit at Clean Team Janitorial Services in Washington, D.C., meaning they are either wanting to add or subtract from their bargaining unit, but I'm not sure which. Anti-union employees at Fiat Products in Somerset, Kentucky, filed a decertification petition to end the representation of the 26 employees there by the Teamsters, Local 651. Meanwhile, 24 workers at Durham School Services in Memphis, Tennessee, filed for a union election with the Teamsters, Local 667. 100 workers at KDXH Media in St. Louis, Missouri, withdrew their petition for a union election with the Independent League of Associate Members of KDXH. A, de a decertification petition was filed, uh, was pulled at Missouri Red Quarries in Ironton, Missouri. So the Laborers International Union of North America, Missouri and Kansas Laborers Council will continue to represent the seven employees there. 121 workers at Unity Healthcare in Washington, D.C. withdrew their petition for union election with the Union of American Physicians and Dentists, but shortly after filed another petition for union election, but with a smaller unit of 50 instead of 121. The NLRB threw out a decertification petition by anti-union workers at Starbucks in Tallahassee, Florida, so the 25 workers there will remain a part of Starbucks Workers United. Uh, it, the last week was... Slim on election results, there were two, five workers at Trident Military Services in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, voted in favor of unionization with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, IAMAW, 4 to 1. And 86 workers at Corsair Memory in Duluth, Georgia, a uh, video games manufacturer, voted against unionization with the Teamsters, Local 728, 32 to 46. In uh, Settlements, Grievances, and Unfair Labor Practices, a federal court in Seattle has ruled that the Starbucks Corporation must comply with the U.S. Department of Labor administrative subpoena that seeks documents needed in an investigation by the Department's Office of Labor Management Standards into money spent by the company related to worker organizing campaigns. The court has given the company 14 days to provide the documents. 
In updates on strikes and bargaining, the American Prospect reported on more changes to the pay of rural letter carriers, with this change to the pay structure seeming to be snapping back some of the major pay cuts uh, that happened a a month or two ago. One carrier told the prospect that with the implementation of the Rex system, he originally lost $15,000 a year, uh, and he got back $6,000 of that with this most recent update. Firefighters with the International Association of Firefighters Local 87 in Jackson, Mississippi, won an $8,000 to $10,000 raise, depending on their rank, after more than two decades without a significant wage increase, according to the local president. Atlanta Public Schools announced a $1,000 bonus for district custodians last week, and after a six-day strike by sanitation workers, just sanitation workers in Durham, North Carolina, members of UE Local 150, they won $6.5 million in bonuses to all city workers, not just wow. sanitation workers. The union was asking for a $5,000 bonus, $5,000 bonus for all city workers, but the city only gave that to workers making only $42,800 per year, decreasing the amount, the more income that you made in the last year. And so the union is counting this as a victory, but will continue to fight to make sure that everybody gets that $5,000 check. The Alabama Board of Nursing, and this is a crazy story. The Alabama Board of Nursing projects that 39,000 experienced nurses will leave the profession in the next year, in the next five years, just in Alabama. They estimate that this would double the amount of nurse vacancies to 14,000 from the current 7,000. It's not going to increase it by 40,000 because, you know, you got people leaving, you got people coming in, but the total vacancies are going to, it's going to double from 7,000 to 14,000 by 2027, according to their estimates. Alabama nurses are paid the second lowest median salary in the country of Alabama's 84,000 nurses, almost 60,000 of them. 75% have a second job. And 37,000 of those spend at least 32 hours at the second job. Brutal, brutal. That's insane. I had no idea it was that bad. 4,000 UAW members in Pennsylvania, Florida, and Maryland have a tentative agreement with Mack Trucks. The union says more details will come out as members begin the ratification process. 188 UAW members at ZF Manufacturing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a Mercedes parts manufacturer, are still on strike, as are Shangri-La dispensary workers with the UFCW Local 655 in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, They began striking in May. Three Brothers Coffee Workers with UFCW Local 1995 are... On strike in Nashville, Tennessee, they have been since June, as have Memphis soy protein production workers with the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers International Union Local 390G at International Fragrances and Flavors over in Memphis. In uh, policy, politics, and legislation, Florida became the 16th state in two years to uh, to propose weakening child labor laws, with lawmakers there proposing to eliminate all guidelines on hours that 16 and 17 year olds can work, meaning that employers could schedule them for any amount of hours they want at any time, including during the night, during school, if this became law. Insane. The Speaker of Alabama's House of Representatives is convening a 
uh, committee of lawmakers to study Alabama's low labor force participation rate, reportedly with solutions being considered like extending child care, higher wages, addressing housing concerns, and providing more expansive mental health services. But this is coming from a Republican, so color me skeptical. But if anything like that comes from this, it'll be a big win. 22,000 Alabamians lost Medicaid in June due to the ending of a federal COVID emergency, and the Alabama Medicaid Agency last week told news outlets that the total number was 100,000 since the emergency ended. Jeez. 100,000 Alabamians have, uh, don't have health care anymore. They are, they've been kicked off of Medicaid. Um, so presumably that's great for our state economy and the labor force participation rate. Uh, just wild. Absolutely insane. Uh, but yeah, that's it for last week in Southern Labor. We're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back with AFGE National President Reverend Everett Kelly. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit coveralabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. 
IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. to go to labor and you're listening to the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host today is ben job adam keller is once again out of pocket if you have anything to add you can give us a call or send us a text message at 844-899-tvlr that is 844-899-8857 you can also uh watch us on youtube and participate in the chat we appreciate everybody listening bob says hi vonda says solidarity friends alex says good morning jacob jones says i feel like i'm saying uh that i jacob morrison am saying alabamians a lot and i take credit for that no i've always said alabamians what are you talking about uh jared says alabamers good morning everybody appreciate you listening so like I said, we have got uh, Reverend Everett Kelly on the line. We appreciate his time. The American Federation of Government Employees is the largest union of federal workers in the United States, representing now 750,000 federal workers. And the president of AFGE is a preacher from Anniston, Alabama, who came out of the Anniston Army Depot. And Reverend Everett Kelly is the next guest on our program. Brother, welcome back to the show. Appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. Good to see you, Jacob. Yes, good to see you too. So, you know, I wanted to talk to you about some of the attacks on the federal workforce that we've been seeing over the last few weeks, the last couple of months. And and, and this is kind of related, but I wanted to revisit some of this stuff about the shutdown for a moment. Um, Because I saw, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, AFGE on Twitter was talking about the impact that just the potential of a shutdown has on federal workers, but also federal agencies. And one stat that really stuck out to me was the president of the AFGE local representing Social Security workers. She estimated that 21,000 man hours were wasted just at the Social Security Administration preparing for a shutdown, figuring out who was going to be furloughed, who was an essential employee, how are we going to do this, and what's going to happen in the event of a shutdown. 21,000 man hours. Uh, Federal workers in the forestry service talked about wasted time, talked about worrying about not being able to properly prepare for a fire, all of this kind of stuff. And you know, you know, as well as I do and the listeners, that the folks responsible for this shutdown, they talk, they're the ones theoretically always talking about waste. That they care about, they think the government is so wasteful. And yet, 
they caused, you know, 21,000 man hours. That is like 10 years of labor that was wasted for no reason. Didn't have to ha have to happen. Can you talk to us about some of what that means for the workers involved, for the agency in agencies involved, for their ability to serve the public? Well, Jacob, that is a, a very good question. Um, let me say that, you know, Social Security, uh, if they are uh, wasting 21,000 man hours, uh, while they are a large uh, agency, uh, they represent probably about 40,000 um, employees. Mm -hmm. When you start taking into consideration other agencies uh, that wasted an uh, insurmountable number of hours as well, you're talking about a vast number of wasted hours uh, that we could be using servicing uh, the citizens of the United States of America. Um, you know, Social Security uh, represented, like I said, about 40,000. TSA uh, represented about 42,000. Uh, the VA represents about, you know, um, almost 280,000. You know, I mean, so when you start taking into consideration right. all of the hours that were wasted preparing, just preparing mm -hmm. for a shutdown, a potential shutdown, you know, it's insurmountable. And it doesn't make sense. It's uncalled for. Matter of fact, it's downright ridiculous, you know, to have to waste this amount of hours that we can be servicing the American public. Right, right. Absolutely. And then, you know, the, the mental toll on, you know, these employees, am I going to have a paycheck or not? Am I going to, you know, uh, that takes a really big toll just in and of itself. And, and you know, there's a law, I, I, my understanding is that there's a law that says federal employees in the event of a shutdown, we have to be given back pay. But that doesn't help if we're out of work for a month and my rent comes due, right, that month, you know, I mean, the bank wants the money. Uh, and and so that's, but, but there are some people, the like federal contractors that often don't get back pay. And I mean, that's, that's just a huge, huge issue. It is. It is. Jacob, let me let me say this, you know, although uh, and, and I really appreciate LGE for going to bat after the last shutdown to make sure that eventually, you know, federal employees will get back pay. But uh, we just like the average American, many of us live from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the average debt in a household is about six, six hundred dollars. Um, you know, and when you start talking about not getting a paycheck, uh, that means that house note got to come from somewhere. Right. That means that groceries have to come from somewhere. The um, public transit, if you're in the metropolitan cities, you know, have to come from somewhere. Okay. So that means that the credit card <laughs> is the next viable option. Okay, so in essence, what happens in the event, you know, in, in, in many cases, I'm saying, you know, is that an, a member that I represent will, end, will, forced to, will be forced to take out a loan at 28% to 26 to 28% using a credit card, you know, when, you know, it's all because of political rhetoric, you know. Uh, so I think that it's unfair. Uh, you know, eventually we get a paycheck, but that long-term effect of that 26% uh, loan that I just took out for mm -hmm. food and gas and 
You know, House Note, you know, will be with me for three and four and five years. Some mm -hmm. members are still paying interest and payments on the last loan they took mm. from 2019. Right. Yeah. And and so we were, you know, we were able to avert a shutdown this time, but it was only for like 47, 48 days. Uh, and so that is quickly approaching. Uh, and now there's no Speaker of the House. So how, you know, what are your thoughts about the ability to keep the government open at the next deadline or, you know, how have, how have your conversations with, you know, representatives in DC been going about this? Well, you know, I think that, um, because of the loss of the speaker, it puts, puts us in a precarious situation. You know, uh, I'm hopeful, uh, that the Republican party will, uh, get a speaker and get a speaker that's reasonable, uh, that's willing, uh, to put people before politics. Um, you know, and if we do that, then I still remain hopeful that we end up with a a, a funding deal. You know, uh, but it's contingent upon you know uh, the GOP being able to come together, uh, select uh, a speaker, and select a speaker that's willing to work for America. That's mm. that's what it's all dependent upon, uh, Jacob. Finding a reasonable Republican. We'll uh, see see what happens there uh, from your lips to God's ears. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit more about some of these Republicans. You know, people are uh, there's a bunch of these folks running for president. And, you know, uh, most of these folks, they're never really going to be president. And so you might you know, so a, a listener might ask, why would you take the time to respond to them? Uh, because their ideas are not isolated to them, right? Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Ron DeSantis, there are a lot of people that share these ideas. And so talking about Ramaswamy first, he has said he wants to cut 75% of federal jobs and eliminate agencies, including the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's like all this culture war stuff about the Department of Education. And so, you know, obviously we need the Department of Education, but I don't even, I can't even understand. What is the reason for, <laughs> for wanting to eliminate the Nuclear Regulatory Commission? <laughs> you know, uh, Jacob, that's a typical example of somebody that don't understand politics, right? right? <laughs> and don't understand how America works. Um you know, to think in terms of cutting 90% of the agencies, you know, you're talking about cutting uh, Social Security, right? right? You know, I mean, if you, you, you we, we, we think that these agencies are underfunded right now, uh, right. especially the Social Security Administration, underfunded. You know, and to talk about cutting 90%, uh, I mean, it's insane uh, to even think and phantom that type of idea. Uh, because the American public depends on these services that we render every single day. Can you imagine uh, not having someone uh, at Social Security to take care of your claim when you need to file a new claim? Or someone at the Veterans Administration when a veteran go off to war and come back and there's nobody there to service that veteran? I mean, it, it, and the list goes on and on and on. So it's a typical example of someone not understanding how America works and not understanding American politics. And on, on top of that, you know, you've got all like, it's obviously going to be detrimental to have fewer people being able to process 
Social Security stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, the IRS, it's already difficult to get a hold of a person at the IRS. Um, and so it's going to make that that much more difficult. I mean, you know, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, I saw that when I was preparing for, you know, this conversation today. And I, I didn't even realize that until yesterday, that he wants to abolish the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I mean, you know, there's like a reason for that kind of stuff. and, and But on top of that, the federal government employs, you know, millions of of workers of millions of americans and if you're talking about 75 percent cut you're talking about like 1.5 million jobs i mean that's a recession that you know yeah. there's a, there's no other way around that you're going to plunge the united states and then subsequently the globe into uh probably an unprecedented recession you know i mean a million job losses how often does that happen <laughs> You know, and, and the thing about it, uh, uh, Jacob, is that when you consider um, the amount of employees, uh, direct employees in America today, federal employees, you know, it's the same amount when um, I believe it was Truman was in office. Hmm. So, you know, what we need to do is consider how we staff uh, American workers so that America can get the services that he, it needs and not understaff as this person has mm -hmm. um, um, indicated. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, again, now, I don't know if if, if, if you're going to ask me a question about others that's running for president or not, uh, but I want to go on record and say that these guys uh, are just, I mean, it's sickening to hear some of the comments, such mm -hmm. as, you know, um, I think that, you know, I'm going to, on the first day, start slitting the throats of federal yeah. bureaucrats, federal uh, employees. I mean, to me, that's threatening, you know, right. and federal employees shouldn't have to live under that, you know, under that threat. You know, and this is a person that want to run for president to, 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 to have these employees to work for them, but yet you're threatening them saying that you're going to slit their throats, right? It just doesn't make sense. And they go on and on and on. And these employers are expected to work under this kind of pressure. However, you know, I'm grateful of the type of employees that I represent because they will get the job done, irregardless of what threat come after them, because, you know, they're used to uh, being threatened. Nevertheless, it doesn't make it any, any more right. You know, right. uh, they should not ever be threatened, but they are the type of employees, though, that will get the job done. And I'm proud of that. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's uh, that is definitely the case. And, uh, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that they're able to get the job done is because of the, you know, the the security and uh, the benefits and and all of that that, uh, you know, federal unions like AFGE has has fought for. Uh, you know, I mean, contrary to, you know, the, uh, the what some people like this might think. People perform better when they're better compensated or and, and when they're comfortable in their workplace and they're secure and all of this kind of stuff. And yet, you know, unions in general are really just kind of the bane of, of a lot of these politicians' existence. But, you know, government unions in particular, government employee unions in particular, they've got a, uh, you know, they've got a particular distaste for us, right? Um, at, at, because for some reason, they think just because we work for the government means we have to give up our constitutional right uh, to, you know, freedom of association, and <laughs> right? And, and uh, uh, unionization. 
conversation. And, and that's just obviously not the case. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, it, it's just the opposite. Matter of fact, you know, we take an oath when we are uh, employed with the federal government and mm. we take that oath seriously, you know, and that's what I, again, what I really enjoy about federal employees, that oath means something. And they will, they will go to bat every single day for, for America. We work for mm. America and we get the job done. Absolutely. And then there are, you know, uh, I mean, there are legal hurdles to this, too. You know, there's the practical stuff that we've been talking about. It would be bad for citizens who don't get the services that they're used to from the federal government. Um, it would be, you know, it would be recession causing, obviously. But legally, you know, the president does not have the authority to dismantle commissions and departments that Congress has created. Right? I mean, that you just can't you can't do that. Correct. That, that is correct, uh, Jacob. And many, pe many people don't uh, understand that or have not understood that to this point. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and yet uh, they will think that the president can undo or the president can do certain things that the president just doesn't have the power to do because if Congress has taken that action, the president cannot undo an action that Congress has enacted. Right. Yeah, and they're and they're always talking about you know executive overreach and stuff like this, but they want the unilateral authority to uh, you know to end entire departments that the United States Congress has has put up. It's really really wild. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Reverend Kelly, I really appreciate your time. Um, I want to be respectful of it, so I don't want to keep you much longer. Is there anything that you would want to leave folks with? Uh, uh, you know, just about you know, when they're thinking about this kind of stuff, about what these presidential candidates are saying, you know, what should they be considering, um, especially in regards to, you know, if you're a federal employee, when you're yeah. hearing folks say stuff like this? And then are there any, you know, updates uh, that folks should know uh, coming down the pike from AFGE? Well, Jacob, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on the show today. I always enjoy coming to be a part of your show uh, because it just reminds me of home. Um, but, you know, I, I continue to ask people to pay attention to everything they said. Uh, you cannot allow anything to get past you because if a person is talking about cutting agencies, you know, they certainly can't be the right candidate when we need to be talking about how we fund agencies, right? If they're threatening federal employees, you can imagine what it would be like working uh, for that individual. So we have to pay attention to everything that's said. Uh, as it relates to the government shutdown as we move forward, I encourage not just federal employees, but I encourage every single citizen of the United States of America to make a phone call to your representative and tell them whether they be a Democrat or Republican, make that phone call and say to them that a shutdown is not an option. You know, we are tired of kicking the can down the road. We need to get a, 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 a funding bill, you know, passed that will uh, um, fund our government for the rest of the year. You know, and we are tired of every year, you know, we're playing mm -hmm. uh, political football or volleyball or whatever you want to call it, with federal employees. You know, 
stop using them as a scapegoat and let's figure out how we fund America so that America can work and so that the American workers can get the job done like they want to. Remember, we're not on strike. We are locked mm -hmm. out in the event of a shutout. Okay, we want to go to work, but if Congress in this event will tell us you cannot go mm -hmm. to work. So, Jacob, thank you again for having me. Uh, I appreciate you, but I implore every citizen to make the phone call to the Congress of the United States of America. Thank you, Brother Kelly. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks. Again, that was uh, President Reverend Everett Kelly from Alabama from Alabama, leading the nation's largest federal employee union. Um, I've got a lot of pride about that. Uh, he's, uh, he's been a good president. I really appreciate his, uh, his work over on the Hill, having to wade through the swamp, as we say. Uh, cannot be an easy job, <laughs> especially when, in times like this. Um, so really appreciate that. Another fun fact, he was the first black president of the Anniston Army Depot's local union down there. So, um, a lot of history, uh, a lot of history there. We talked to him about, uh, about becoming the first black president on the program a few years ago. If you want to go back and find that interview, it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, we've got another interview lined up here about, um, Medicaid expansion. And this one is really important, especially in light of the news coming out about tens of thousands of Alabamians losing Medicaid for, I mean, you know, I mean, really the, 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 the crux of it is for no reason, right? Because there is no yeah. reason that they should have to go without insurance, especially when we are contemplating the medical bills for federal prisoners increasing by an estimated $400 million a year. And we're currently building the most expensive prison Right. Uh, I think in the U.S. Yes. And it keeps, it was two prisons for a billion dollars, I believe. Now it's, now it's one, one prison. prison for like $1.3 billion. The BOGO, the BOGO deal yeah. busted. And, uh, but it's, we can't, we can't. I don't, but, and, and that's just, that's just the medical bills though for prisoners has been revised up to about $400 million more. And the, the reason that Republicans are always saying, oh, we shouldn't expand Medicaid. We, we can't expand Medicaid is because they say, and it's not exactly this, but they say $200 million a year is what it would cost to expand Medicaid. And it's like, well, if you did that, all you know, you could you could throw all the prisoners on Medicaid and you're going to save uh, $200 million right there. I mean, it pays for itself to get Medicaid if you just consider the, how much it costs to administer health care to prisoners without that Medicaid expansion. But then, you know, you, you're talking about tens of thousands of jobs that would be created. You're talking about, you know, I mean, it's really priceless when you think about people not dying because they don't have health care. And, it, um, and it's not like there's not other places in the world that have much right. more productive workers. Yeah. Like, I just always look at Germany because it's a huge economy. Mm -hmm. It's got uh, the same kind of education, very similar culturally. We have a ton of German people that live here, and we work over there. In the, and they have these social nets, social safety nets, and education and healthcare that support mm -hmm. their workers. And lo and behold, their workers are outproducing us hour by hour. Yep. They're getting more stuff done, making more money. Outproducing us hour by hour, and they work less. They, uh, the average <laughs> German worker works three months less 
per year than we do. Three three months. I mean, that's wild. I'd take that vacation. Yeah, I, would, I mean, good it. grief. Uh, and so, and actually, you know, speaking about the German German workers, um, Unite All Workers for Democracy, which is the Reform Caucus in the UAW, they are doing a webinar with French and German Stellantis workers, okay. talking about uh, workers from those unions about uh, the EV transition and about their thirty-five hour work weeks. Um, so, you know, it's not really that radical because people in other industrial con- countries are doing that. Um, there, it, it's going to be on zoom, you know, follow, uh, U- uh, UAWD on Twitter and you can find that and you can register for it. Um, I have asked for a recording of that panel so we can play a couple clips next week. So we're going to cross our fingers that they're going to be recording that. I'm not sure if they are, but if they will, then I'll show you, um, I'll show you some stuff next week. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, so I got sidetracked a little bit. Medicaid expansion is important. <laughs> we should do it. People should have health care. Everybody should have health care, but particularly folks that can't pay for it uh, through themselves or their employer. And here's a conversation that Adam Keller pre-taped with uh, a a a uh, organizer with Cover Alabama, which is a coalition dedicated to expanding Medicaid in Alabama. Let's play that interview. All right, folks, you're still listening to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. Really looking forward to this next interview, uh, talking to a good friend of mine with Cover Alabama. And before I talk to her, I wanted to mention a couple of things about Medicaid expansion. Uh, Of course, listeners know I've been very passionate about this topic uh, it's one that I, I feel very strongly about, and I think it's just such a, an important issue for working people here in this state. And I wanted to share just a couple statistics with you all, uh, and this is the kind of information that Cover Alabama is putting out. Um, specifically, let's start with Madison County. We're recording right here in Huntsville, Alabama, so let's take a look at Madison County, uh, one of Alabama's you know fastest-growing counties in the state. Let's see, we have 26,219 adults in Madison County who are currently uninsured. Over 11,000 of those would be eligible for health insurance under expanded Medicaid. Over 11,000. We could reduce the number of uninsured adults in Madison County by 44% with Medicaid expansion. And it's worth noting that almost one in five in in Madison County have medical debt in collections, almost one in five. And a couple numbers across the state. There's been 14 total hospital closures in Alabama since 2010. Only 13% of women of childbearing age are uninsured in Alabama. It's only 13%, but 13% is 13% too many. Medicaid expansion would gain 20,000 new jobs in Alabama. 20,000 new jobs. And now I hear a lot of politicians brag about economic development when there's a few hundred new jobs, a few thousand new jobs. But Medicaid expansion would create 20,000 new jobs, and it would be across the state, right? from top to bottom, 
east to west. There would be a $327.7 million additional economic impact in Madison County in year one as a result of closing the Medicaid coverage gap. Over $300 million in economic impact just in Madison County, right? By providing this access to health care, the increased jobs, healthier pop population, the preventative care, the reduction of medical debt, all of this is a formula for success. And so that's why it's so important that folks speak out on this topic. And so that's why I wanted to bring on Wit from Cover Alabama to talk to us about the work that she's doing and how you can get involved in this fight. So Wit, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me get you on the screen here because, you know, I'm in the studio by myself right now and it's always tricky with technology. I'm not, uh, I'm not a pro by any means. <laughs> um, but thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I wanted just to start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what got you into this work. And, and of course, talk to me about your UMWA shirt. Love to see the UMWA camouflage on the Valley Labor Report. Yeah, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, I'm Whit Sides. Uh, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and I um, I'm a coal miner's daughter, so that's where this shirt is from. Um, my dad was a coal miner. Uh, both my granddads, most of my uncles, most folks I grew up with. So yeah, um, and that's my background in labor. Um, but I am now the storyteller for Alabama Arise and for the Cover Alabama campaign. So I collect stories of folks that are in the Medicaid coverage gap. So yeah, talk to us a little bit more about that, you know, in terms of collecting stories. What does that mean? And what what are you doing? Yeah, so um my my professional career started out in journalism and so this is kind of the best of both worlds for me. I get to work in advocacy and journalism at the same time. Um, so I'm basically a nonprofit healthcare reporter. And so I collect stories of people that um, are not eligible for Medicaid in our state, but then also don't receive any health benefits from their work or they can't afford private health insurance. So why is it so important to hear like personal stories, right? Because, you know, I started, I mentioned some statistics and I'm a statistics kind of guy, but I recognize that that's not for everybody, right? And, and that's not what impacts everybody, um, particularly, you know, decision makers that we're trying to influence. So what is it about, you know, people's personal stories and testimonies that's so important? I think it's just like anything else. People connect to a compelling story sometimes easier than they do numbers. Um, that doesn't um, mean to say that the numbers in Alabama aren't compelling. Something that I didn't know before 
I joined Alabama Rise is that there are almost 300,000 people in the Medicaid coverage gap in Alabama. We're a small state. We've got, you know, I don't know, not very many uh, million people right now. Right, right. <laughs> Last time we checked. Um, and so a huge chunk of that 300,000 people are living without health care coverage. Um, and there's a fix out there. So I figured by by sharing these stories, putting a face to this issue, then that'll be able to move the needle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm interested in some of the highlights so far of some of these stories that you've collected. Like, who are some of the folks that you've talked to and, and what have they shared with you? Yeah. So, who I probably collected... I've spoken to hundreds of people, but we're able to share the stories of probably 30 to 50 people so far. Um, and we have, they're all over the spectrum. Um, in Alabama, it's nearly impossible to receive Medicaid coverage as a able-bodied adult um, right. without expansion. And so the majority of folks I talk with are uh, youngish working adults. And that's anyone from a new mother to um, I've talked to some older uh, workers too, low income earners who were um, facing health struggles. So I would, if I had to, pick a story I think they all have such a huge impact on me because people are sharing you know some of the most vulnerable parts of their life um right. most recently Aaron Mullins from Summerton Alabama that's in Walker County close to where I grew up um she shared her story of what it was like living in the coverage gap and trying to navigate mental health care um trying to so she was diagnosed with um anxiety and panic disorder and once she rolled off of her father's insurance, she she basically had nowhere to go. So something that was easily managed with um, talk therapy and medication, what now she had entered a mental health crisis. Right. right. Um, and she, she couldn't access any of that. She mentioned that if she were paying out of pocket, it would have been $400 um, just to see her doctor. So she did that once or twice. Right. But, but most people can't do that. Yeah. Right. And especially in your twenties too. She, she was just starting out as a hairstylist. So she worked in a pretty demanding job. She was on her feet all day. She was in a stressful environment. And so not being able to access mental health care, that was just, you know, not great. So she shared her story with us and she has gone on to share her story with some other regional outlets lately and that's part of the most <clears throat> excuse me the most filling thing about my work is that these storytellers can grow into advocates once they learn more about like oh what happened to me I'm not alone right. there are hundreds of thousands of other people in my situation so Erin has become an advocate and she's been sharing her story like far and wide now um I'm very proud of her too. she's um she just had a new baby she just um uh joined with her friend to start a new business and uh 
taking the time to share her story can mean, you know, the difference between someone being able to access care and knowing about their situation and not. Right, right. That Yeah, that really is powerful. And I, I do think about how many people are in her, her exact situation. Uh, and, you know, when we talk about the quote-unquote workforce participation crisis yeah. in Alabama, uh, and you think about how many people are struggling due to lack of health insurance, lack of health care. They're either uninsured or they're underinsured, and they're just not getting what they need to be successful at whatever they want to do, uh, which, you know, for many of them would include the workforce if it was possible. Uh, and so, you know, it's just, yeah, hearing stories like that is very powerful, I believe. And, and I'm curious, like, so far, what's been the reaction to folks, uh, you know, when you've been able to share these stories out? Uh, have you gotten any feedback from people about, you know, what, what they felt like after they, they read these? I think most of the time um, after people read their stories, whether it's my friend's family or our members at Arise, um, they always tell me, they're like, oh, well, that's so heartbreaking. And um, for me, I kind of see it through a different lens. I see it as Medicaid expansion offers a future to folks like this in the coverage gap. So I choose to, you know, choose positivity. Um, as far as workforce participation, we, so part of the series that Erin, who I spoke about earlier, she was part of a series called See the Gap that we published. And I spoke to dozens of hairstylists, barbers, and nail technicians in Alabama. And a lot of people don't realize or they don't often think about the people that are taking care of them, making right. them look good, the people that they see all the time um are don't have health care can't access affordable care um and so it was a privilege of mine to be able to share those stories and sharing those stories too has i've received so much feedback from people that say wait but they work you know hairstylists work especially you know six days a week sometimes 12 hours a day right um I talked to a nail technician who was a salon manager and she was, I mean, she was always on her feet every day. She was there when it opened, she was there when it closed. If, if, and it was my nail salon too. And uh, I had no idea. I right. had no idea. She was facing so much medical debt. Um, she didn't have insurance. She was um, doing what a lot of our family members and people that we love do where they will try to treat things that they ought to go to a doctor for at home. Mm. Um, so stories like that, I think are unfortunately relatable. And so it's even that more important that we get them out there. Wow. Yeah. There's a couple of things that really st stuck with me and what you just said there, like for one thing, the treating at home, like that is a very widespread phenomenon. Like all you gotta do is go on Facebook. Right, and and you're gonna see some stuff where people are clearly pursuing home remedies and pursuing all sorts of stuff off the internet, and you know, it, it's just yeah, it it, it is a, a heartbreaking thing, but it also, like you said, it's an opportunity because, like, here's one of these clear cut solutions and clear cut policies. I mean, it is a no brainer 
Um, you know, there's a lot of issues out there that are very complicated or potentially divisive, but to me, this is a unifying issue, and the opinion polls even back that up, that a majority of Alabamians, even a majority of Republican voters in Alabama support uh, expanding Medicaid, and, you know, it's a win-win for everybody involved. Uh, these folks, these brothers and sisters, these neighbors of ours can get the treatment that they need and deserve. They can live a more fulfilling life. They can participate in the workforce. Uh, employers can have, you know, a better time recruiting and retaining a workforce that's healthier. Uh, we all benefit as a community from a healthier society. Uh, and then there's a massive economic impact of the job creation, you know, the tens of thousands of jobs, the economic activity that's generated. Uh, you know, like I said in the intro, you know, politicians love to brag about economic development. And I hear their numbers are a lot less than what Medicaid expansion brings, right? In a lot of these projects that, you know, whatever you think of them, they're not necessarily creating 20,000 jobs. You know, that's just huge. And so, to be able to do something that benefits the economy but grows it from the bottom up and materially helps people in, in their real day-to-day -day lives uh, and saves lives, I think that's just so huge. And so uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing to get those stories out there uh, because a lot of times, you know, the working poor, they don't have their stories told in the media. Uh, not enough. And so it's really important what you're doing. And I wanted to ask, how can folks share their story with you? How can they connect? Yeah, well, something you said before I give folks the opportunity to share their sure. story with me. Um, Alabama is one of the most restrictive states when it comes to Medicaid eligibility. And so you can be working and, you know, earning $50,000. We all know what that's like to share, have to split $50,000 of our family of three or four, but that still makes you ineligible for those kind of benefits. Um, so things like that, that's what, you know, inspires me to continue doing what I'm doing. But yeah, folks can share their story with me. I'm on Twitter. Uh, well, X now, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Brightsides, S-I-D-E-S. Um, also, you can go to CoverAlabama.org, click on Stories, and you can always find me there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of the coverage gap and, and just like how restrictive Medicaid is, in 2023, a family of three must make less than $4,475 a year. Yeah. A year. Less than $5,000 for a family of three. I don't think you can get groceries for a right. year with that. That's not, that's not livable. That's just not livable. And in 2023, a family of three must make at least 24860 a year to qualify for private insurance, right? So there's all these people stuck in between who are working their tails off, who have kids, who have elderly parents they're taking care of, who have all these different scenarios. They have untreated illnesses, untreated, you know, addictions, whatever the situation may be. You know, all these people who are working hard and, and we could help them out. Um, over half of the people in the coverage gap are currently employed, right? So yep. these are, by and large, the working poor, 
but even those who are unemployed or not in the labor force, you know, whether they're students or caretakers or retirees, everybody deserves a decent life. Everybody deserves to be healthy and, and be able to fulfill their potential. And so why not do this? Uh, why not do this and for the state and for, for our people? Uh, so, yeah, I uh, just really, really do believe that Medicaid expansion is one of those issues that brings people together. And I really yeah. encourage folks to share your story with WIT. Just get those stories out there and, and share the series that she's already got out there. Really highly recommend it. Um, I love that she talked to the barbers and the hairstylists. Uh, like you said, kind of a, a, an overlooked group of hardworking folks, predominantly women, um, who are working really hard, often those really long hours on their feet, dealing with chemicals, dealing with, uh, with customers and all that that brings, frankly. Sometimes that can be difficult. And so it's just, you know, it's a shame to think about how many folks out there are, are working hard like that, uh, but can't go to the doctor, can't get medication that they need. Uh, we can do better. Alabama can do better and we deserve to do better. And I think the more we share our stories and share our stories with each other in conversation with each other and build community that can fight back, you know, I think we can do it. So, uh, Whit, did you have any final words now that I'm done with my sermon? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. Um, I, I just wanted to say, you know, you ask about some of the stories that I've received the most feedback about. I've unfortunately had to write stories or share stories of people that have passed away, um, mm. even in my own life while they were in the coverage gap. So I would encourage people, if you find yourself in that place, you realize you're in the coverage gap because it can be a new concept for a lot of people. They they kind of internalize it as some sort of moral failure when it's not. It's a you know systemic failure. But um, if you realize you're in the coverage gap and you want to share your story, let's do it now. Let's do it now before it's too late. We don't want to lose any more people in the coverage gap because this issue is life or death. You know. Absolutely, it's an urgent issue. Uh, we've been fighting this fight for way too long, uh, but ultimately, I believe we can win this fight the more of us get involved. So, uh, Wit, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, and thanks for all you're doing to get these stories out there. And again, folks should go to CoverAlabama.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks, really important interview. Um, looking forward to clipping that. Hope folks will share it around. And, um, you know, uh, the, earlier this year, <clears throat> Governor Ivey said that um, expanding Medicaid is something that she is seriously uh, giving serious consideration and that they just have to figure out how to make it work or whatever. So here's hoping that that actually comes to fruition because there is a lot of um, needless suffering, death, and deprivation because of the And lack half of those people are workers, so those yeah. are people that would be, probably be working more days yeah. if and they then, had health care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the other people that are, you know, the folks that are not workers – 
are, you know, by and large going to not be workers because of, you know, a reasonable reason to not be workers. They're caretakers, they're disabled, you know, stuff like this. And don't get me started on the disability, uh, social Mm. security disability insurance. It is terrible. Um, Absolutely awful. So we're going to take a break really quick. We're going to be right back, wrap it up with Boss Watch, and then head into overtime. So stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't go to break yet. Uh, 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-8857 if you want to call in. Okay. Be right back. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower-than-average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, Or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. 
When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host today is Ben Job. Ben Job is filling in for Adam Keller. He is out of pocket again this week, but uh, we'll forgive him. We're big fans of progressive discipline here, so this will only result in a written warning. <laughs> um, we had a few text messages from the last uh, last couple of weeks, so we want to get to those. And we do um, have a caller on the line as well, fantastic. just so you're aware. Yeah, we'll get to those right after these messages. Love the work you guys do. Keep up the great work. Tony from Wisconsin, IATSE, Local 18, stagehand in Milwaukee County Parks. Very cool. Thank you, Tony. Um, here's a question. Does the new NLRB decision mean that we should expect to see new Starbucks unionized stores forced to get a contract? I know the CEO said he refused to negotiate a contract. Does the ruling change this? And the ruling that this uh, text message is presumably referring to is the one that ordered back pay for um, union baristas, for thousands of union baristas that were denied new raises and benefits by Starbucks because of their unionization. Uh, And no, unfortunately, uh, it does not. Uh, force Starbucks to come to a new contract that would require new statutory authority uh, from Congress for the NLRB, but it is still a big deal for uh, back pay for those thousands of baristas that are already unionized um, that they have missed out on, and um, and looking forward to seeing continuing to see more and more people join. Uh, this one, this is a text message that I, I missed somehow from a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Jake and Adam, uh, this is Jack from New Jersey. Labor activity heating up here in New Jersey this week as 1,700 plus nurses with United Steelworkers uh, Local 4-200 approached the two-month mark in the in their unfair labor practices strike against Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick. The hospital requested and received a preliminary injunction against their picket activity. I spent Wednesday morning on the line of a wake-up call picket singing labor songs with nurses outside of the Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas CEO's home with nothing but support from his neighbors. Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas is the largest hospital system in New Jersey, a state where hospital systems are very powerful, and if the nurses win the contract they're seeking, it could have a huge impact statewide. I also had the privilege of spending last night on the line with UAW Local 3039 at Stellantis New York PDC Parts Distribution Center just over the border in Tappan. Again, the community support was impressive and the good folk who work hard harder every day than i ever have are fired up to get what they deserve uh fantastic um appreciate those updates from new jersey jack yeah let's go ahead and, very popular very popular yes, increasing increasingly many are saying let's go ahead and bring the caller on the line <laughs> right. uh from a 317 area code we've got a caller from a 317 area code what's your name and where are you calling from uh, hey, y'all, this is Will uh, from Texas, North Texas. Um, I'm a uh, UPSer and a part-time shop steward. Um, I called in just to sort of voice my 
my general displeasure with um, the state of the Teamsters, with TDU, and with um, sort of labor media in general. Um, I think we've done uh, a real backslide in the politics um, in the Teamsters. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa we, Jr., we all knew Jimmy Hoffa Jr. was a business unionist. It was pretty clear. Uh, Sean O'Brien is is generally the same type of business unionist, maybe a little tougher talk, maybe a little tougher stance, but all that's really changed at the IBT is the name tags. Sean O'Brien ran on transparency, and during the UPS contract campaign, we it was a complete communications failure. There was the non-disclosure acts. What was released to the membership was um, muddled and confusing. It really wasn't like the way that Sean Fain has been going about uh, his campaign with the UAW. The uh, the state of militancy at UPS is in absolute shambles. Y'all had Sean Orr on. Uh, and Sean Orr, Sean O'Brien, my union president, they're all talking about we won this historic deal and now we need to go in and enforce the contract. Well, the panels at UPS have been siding with the company to fire militants. This is absolutely something Sean O'Brien knows about. This is absolutely something that, that all the union leadership are, are aware of. In the southern region, on the southern region panel, we had a longtime business unionist, Donnie West, right? We asked Sean O'Brien when he came down to Texas the, about the panels and the panel, um, the, you know, so the way it works is, you know, get discipline, discipline goes to a local hearing. If the discipline isn't handled at a local hearing, it goes to a panel, right? A panel is a, a collection of the company, a collection of the union, uh, you get in there, you present your case, they adjudicate the case, right? The union in the southern region traditionally has been business friendly. Uh, Donnie West and a lot of his sycophants in the southern region ran the southern region panel in an extremely pro-company way. Sean O'Brien said, we don't need panel reform, we just need to get the right people on the panel. So what did he do? He sunsetted Donnie West into retirement, and that's all he did, left his sycophants in place. And the result of this is militants from Texas, militants from Oklahoma have been losing their panel cases because the union is siding with the company, with the union bureaucrats, the union officials. So it really needs to get out that, you know, they're saying we just need to enforce this contract. Well, the people who are trying to militantly enforce this contract are getting decisions ruled against them. Uh, I, I know a number of um, militants who have been fired from their jobs because these union officials have sided with them. And, and what's more is TDU, the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, have stopped being a watchdog because they are uh, – at the table with Sean O'Brien. And, and, and listen, I'm not against a popular front, 
right? I'm not against making coalition, right? Proximity to power is an important thing, but what do you use your proximity to power for if not to hold those people accountable? So I think it's a real bad state of affairs in the Teamsters right now. And what's worse is the politics of the Teamsters, it's completely mystified, right? Because it's not clear to people outside of the Teamsters and even within the Teamsters that Sean O'Brien is the same type of business unionist as Jimmy Hoffa Jr. So I just called in because I know y'all, you know, give uh, equal space um, to differing opinions. So um, I thought I'd call in and, and say, hey, Teamsters, UPSers, just because this contract campaign is over does not mean that we're not still fighting. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, people have sort of moved on and they're focusing on the UAW, on Kaiser. And I think that's important. Those strikes are mm-hmm. important. Biggest healthcare strike in, 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 I think, history of this country, or at least in a very long time. That's, that's important to focus on. But um, I'm trying to keep us, you know, keep you all informed about what's happening after the contract. Yeah, I appreciate it. And the 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 most tr- troubling thing to me it, uh, that that you talked about was was the panel stuff. And I'll uh, I'll um I'll ask around and see if I can get some more information on that and and see if there's uh um you know I, I'd be interested in some of those cases uh, if anything's been written about them. Um, I I I. I don't know that I would necessarily agree about the the campaign as far as the messaging being muddled. You know, they they did sign NDAs, which I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with. I think Sean Fain's approach has been better. But they you know they were announcing wins, and they were able the UPS you know the Teamsters were able to get a lot of these wins actually before the contract expiration, and so it was a little bit of a different dynamic. But they were announcing wins you know on some of the big subjects of bargaining you know, weeks and months before the before the deadline. And so, you know, though that was a pretty kind of similar dynamic to what we're seeing with Sean Fain, even if it wasn't quite I- exactly as explicit and clear. Um, but, you know, there was a pretty similar dynamic there, I thought, anyway. But uh, but the panel stuff, uh, that does seem concerning to me. So um, I'll see if there's... Uh, I'll, 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 I'll do some digging. I appreciate the call, Will. Thank you. Thank you for calling. All right, talk to you yep. later. Yeah, talk soon. Um... I appreciate the call. If you want to get where he was, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We'll take more calls if you call in in the second half of the show. In overtime, we're going to wrap up with Boss Watch. Boss Watch is a segment that we do every week where we take a look at what bosses are up to in the southern United States and her colonies uh, because... Bosses are all the time breaking the law, and nobody talks about it on the news, and so that's why we're here. Uh, Heading over to Florida to start out with, a 29-year-old employee of a Florida marine construction company drowned in five feet of water after being pinned under a fallen crane in March of 2023. Federal workplace safety investigators determined that the company could have prevented the fatality by following required safety standards. Employees of Upper Keys Marine Construction LLC were installing a piling foundation for a resident boat lift when the crane tipped over and fell into the water. The employee, who was inappropriately tasked to ride the load of the crane, became pinned under the crane's hammer and drowned. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration found the company violated federal safety standards when they failed to have a life-saving skiff immediately available.
available during offshore operations. They permitted an uncertified crane operator to operate the equipment. They failed to comply with the crane's manufacturer's stability and load capacity, and they permitted workers to ride the load attached to the boom of a crane during pile-driving operations. They also operated a crane that was not physically secured to the barge. OSHA issued the company nine serious citations and proposed about $92,000 in penalties, an amount set by federal statute for the violations. The company has 15 business days from receipt of their citations to comply, request an informal conference with OSHA, or contest the findings. Over in Oklahoma, Worldwide Printing and Distribution Incorporated, a commercial printing, direct mailing, and direct marketing company operating out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, violated federal law when a supervisor harassed an employee with racial and national origin slurs after the employee shared her DNA ancestry results, uh, the EEOC charged in a lawsuit last week. According to the EEOC suit, in or around August of 2022, the employee received results from an at-home DNA test kit showing she had ancestry from Cameroon and the Congo. When the worker's supervisor learned about her DNA results, the supervisor began calling her names such as Ape, in Congo. The supervisor also began mocking the employee, saying she was, quote, swinging through trees and was a, quote, ape princess looking for a, quote, king. The employee repeatedly asked the supervisor to stop the harassment to no avail. When the employee complained about the harassment to a higher level manager, he participated in the harassment and did nothing to stop it. The EEOC charges that the harassment was so intolerable the employee was forced to resign. But not even her resignation stopped the harassment. According to the lawsuit, the supervisor obtained the employee's phone number and sent her a text calling her Congo following her resignation. The EEOC filed suit in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Oklahoma after first attempting to reach a pre-litigation settlement via its reconciliation process. They are uh, seeking monetary relief for the victim, an order prohibiting similar discrimination and harassment and other relief. Over in Louisiana, EcoServe LLC is an industrial cleaning company in Abbeville, Louisiana. They violated federal law by engaging in a pattern or practice of refusing to hire applicants who were black, female, or 40 years old or over, and by firing a human resources employee who opposed the discriminatory practices. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission charged in a lawsuit filed uh, last week. According to the lawsuit, EcoServe instructed a former human resources employee to limit the number of African-American workers she hired. The HR official also became aware of other discriminatory practices of not hiring women or older workers for non-office positions. The HR official also opposed EcoServe's practices by refusing to discriminate and informing a manager that she believed the company's hiring practices violated the law. Shortly thereafter, EcoServe retaliated against her by firing her. The lawsuit alleges that evidence confirmed that EcoServe routinely engaged in discrimination by denying employment to black female and older applicants for non-salaried, non-office positions. The EEOC filed suit in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana after first trying to reach a pre-litigation settlement through its conciliation process. We have several several dishonorable mentions this week. A worker at Six Flags Over Georgia was killed after she fell out of a van and hit her head on the asphalt. 
the worker was a scare actor being transported with others during a Halloween activity at the park. Employees reached out to a large Twitter account about Georgia and said that this happened because they were, and always were, being transported in a van with the doors open and, quote, no way for the scare actors to secure themselves inside. Inspectors with the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration observed employees of A1A Roofing Contractor, LLC, of Loxahatchee in Florida working without fall protection on pitched roofs at hives heights of up to 32 feet. They also found the subcontractor allowed one worker to use a broken harness and failed to train employees on how to recognize and prevent falls. OSHA cited the company for similar violations in September of 2022. OSHA is proposing $160,000 in penalties. The U.S. DOL recovered $37,000 in stolen health and welfare benefits for 56 employees uh, at a Wendy's franchise in Guam. A McDonald's manager in Oklahoma sexually harassed a 17-year-old girl, according to the lawsuit, after subjecting the teenager to sexual comments and innuendo for about a month, the male supervisor grabbed her by the waist in, the, in a dark isolated storage set shed and said he could rape her. When Archfellow LLC, the franchise owner, learned about the incident and other sexual harassing conduct by the supervisor, it failed to take prompt or effective remedial action to protect the girl and other workers. Instead, the company allowed the supervisor to continue supervising the victim and other teenage girls. An employee at Sun Chemicals Manufacturing Facility in Kansas City, Missouri, was subjected to a racially hostile work environment when a co-worker verbally and physically harassed him with profanity in the lunchroom, followed him into the locker room, slammed his hand into the locker next to the employee, and called him the N-word. Supervisory employees at the facility were aware of that co-worker using the N-word in the workplace on multiple prior occasions, but failed to take prompt and appropriate corrective action. When the employee complained about being racially harassed by his co-worker, Sun Chemical retaliated by issuing him a written warning for using profanity against the harasser. A manager at a Chipotle in Lenexa, Kansas, repeatedly asked a Muslim employee to remove her hijab, pressuring her to show him her hair. Despite the teen's rejections and complaint to management, Chipotle failed to act to stop the manager's harassment, and Chipotle's inaction resulted in the manager escalating his abuse, ultimately grabbing and forcibly removing part of the teen's hijab. After the teen reported the incident, Chipotle again failed to take prompt corrective action and instead retaliated against the teen by refusing to schedule her to work additional shifts unless she agreed to transfer locations while allowing her harasser to continue working at the same location. Just really, really terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. And that's what bosses do every week. Every week. And it's sad that there's always a lot of lead-up time in most of these yes. situations. And it continues, does not get addressed, and then this happens. Yep. Yep. 
absolutely terrible. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for us on the show today. On the first half of the show, we're going to be heading into overtime. If you're listening to us on the radio, you can find us online, Facebook and YouTube at The Valley Labor Report and continue uh, and, and you can continue listening to us for another hour and a half where in overtime, we're going to be talking to Ed Flash Ferentz from uh, America's Workforce Radio Podcast over in Ohio. He hosts America's only daily union talk radio show. So we're really excited to talk to him about the news of the day. Um, just a reminder, uh, uh, Labor Notes, always hosting some online trainings. You can go to labornotes.org and check out what they have going on there. Uh, TVLR.fm slash donate to make a one-time or monthly recurring contribution. You can also... Uh, buy our new shirt, tvlr.fm slash store. We have about 25 extra. And if you are a member of a union and you think that your members might be in, in your, you know, local might be interested in like a bulk order, you can let me know and we can work something out. We can get you a discounted price per shirt. Uh, if you do a bulk order through us, it has to be at least 50. Before, when we did our pre-order, we could have done 10, uh, for a local. But now, it, it since it would be its own order, it would need to be at least 50. At least 50. So if you're with a local, you want to do a bulk order, holler at me, tvlr.fm slash contact. Um, and yeah, we're going to go ahead and head into overtime. Like I said, we're going to be talking to uh, Ed Flash Ferentz. Also going to be giving you a huge update on the UAW strike. They were able to secure a big, big win from GM, uh, who agreed that all future battery plants would go under the UAW's national agreement. So we're going to be breaking that down in the second half of the show. Uh, and if you don't come over to the internet with us, we'll see you next week. All power to the workers. Okay. Okay. We're off the radio now. Appreciate everybody staying with us. Like I said, really excited uh, for overtime today. Always love talking to Flash. Um, about once a month, Adam goes on America's Workforce. So definitely uh, uh, definitely check his stuff out. He's got a lot of context on the history of it, too. Being in it every day, that's a yeah. lot. That's a lot. For of... 30 years. <laughs> guy has been doing this radio show for 30 years. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back with Overtime. Stay tuned. 